Well, if you're here and you've got your copy of God's Word, I'd like to invite you to take it and turn to the book of Luke. We're going to start in Luke chapter 14. And then towards the end, we're going to flip over to the book of Matthew chapter 6. So you're welcome to keep a piece of paper there as well if you'd like. Uh, Before we begin, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for this season of Thanksgiving. Father, we thank you uh, for all of the blessings that are found in you. Lord, I pray that as we continue this uh, series on discipleship, Lord, I pray that you would um, call us to the bar that you raised. And Father, I pray that we wouldn't settle for anything less. God, I pray that we would genuinely be followers of you who hold to the things that you call us to. And Father, I pray that that would be contagious and in turn your gospel would spread to the ends of the earth through us. So Father, we love you and we thank you. And we pray that during this uh, the rest of this hour, that you would indeed feed your people. And Father, I pray that you would use me to do it. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we're in the book of Luke, chapter 14, uh, if you're still turning there. And uh, just uh, by way of letting you know, I was walking out of the door to come to church, uh, or to come to Sunday school this morning, and Jesse says, well, are you going to address the election at all? And I thought, boy, I was hoping nobody would notice the election took place this week. And uh, maybe we could just skate by and, and not bring it up. But uh, I, I say that tongue-in-cheek, but this message is not going to address the election at all. Uh, and just from the bottom of my heart, what I want to tell you is that uh, after Christ's death, the 11 disciples turned the world upside down. It's in the book of Acts. They come on trial, and the king says, these are the men who turned the world upside down. And what I want you to know is that a church of, usually we have around 120 Uh, Any given morning, if you include the kids, 120 true disciples of Christ can do more good in the world than one president could ever do bad. So I just want you to be encouraged that the main thing for us isn't who gets elected in the office. The main thing for us as a church is that we make disciples and we turn the world upside down for Christ. And I know that the news isn't going to tell you that. But I'm telling you that according to God's word, that is the biggest thing on our radar screen. It's not who wins and loses elections, but it's us making disciples and us taking a stand for Christ. And so what we're going to do is uh, we've just acknowledged the election, right? And we're going to plow on, hopefully, mending our hearts so that God makes us into the disciples that he's called us to be. And so we've, we've been in this series and we've been talking about the word disciple and I don't want you to, I don't want you to think that this is a, the type of series where you bait and switch words, right? I don't want you to think that I'm making a lot out of being, of being a disciple. And I don't want you to think that I'm saying that there's, there's different tiers of following Christ. Like oftentimes you read the scriptures and you think, well, there's some people who, uh, like the thief on the cross, he gets in at the last second and the, and the disciples, they're on a different tier than he was. And that is not at all in scripture, Right. We've talked about that we use this word Christian to define who we are. And the word Christian is only used two times in the Bible. And both of those times it's used in a negative fashion by people who are referring to followers of Christ. It's never a word that followers of Christ use about themselves. Okay? The word that's used in Scripture all the time is followers of Christ and disciples. And a disciple is a follower of someone. And so what I'm going to do is we're going to get into this passage. We're going to read some things that Jesus says about people that wish to follow him, people who want to be his disciples. And then I'm going to read the passage again, and I'm going to swap out the word disciple and followers, and I'm going to put in the word Christian. And I think that you're going to see that it has a whole different tone to it. 
Because we've said again, and I know that you're getting tired of hearing it, that when we use the word Christian, we get to define it, right? Because God, excuse me, the scriptures don't define what it means to be a Christian. It's a word that we've made up to describe ourselves. That's why when someone asks you if you're a Christian, you you quantify it. You say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm not like them. And I'm a Christian, but I'm not like them either. I'm my own brand of Christian. And the reality is, is we've all been called to something uh, painfully clear in scripture and that's we've been called to be disciples and so let's jump in to uh, luke chapter 14 i'm going to start in verse 25 jesus says this now large crowds were continuing along with him and he turned and said to them if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters yes even his own life he cannot be my disciple Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Verse 28. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. So what I want to do is I want to read this again. And I want to take out the word disciple, which is, I don't recommend this. And I want to take out the word follow me. And I want to take out the descriptive words that Jesus uses of disciple. And I want to replace it with Christian, right? I want you just to see how this feels. Because sometimes we read the scriptures and we read about disciples and we think about those 12 guys who followed him around, right? We don't think about us. What I want you to see is that I think one of the things that Satan has gotten the most traction out of is letting us define the terms is what it means to be a follower of Christ. Because there's a lot of folks who deceive themselves and they think they are followers of Christ and they're not measuring up to the standard that Christ has set. And so let me just show you this by swapping out the words. So listen to the same scripture again. This is Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Now, large crowds were going along with him. And so now Christians were following him. And he turned and said to them, if any Christian does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, even his own life, he cannot be a Christian. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be a Christian. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to complete it, to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. So he set out as a Christian, but he wasn't able to pull it off. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000, or else, while the other is still far away, he sends delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then none of you can be a Christian who does not give up all his own possessions got a different ring to it doesn't it me just a little head nod it's got a different ring to it jesus didn't say if you barely want to get in put your faith in me jesus says put your faith in me you'll be saved from your sins and he starts us on this journey of being a disciple and we're the ones who have settled for being a christian and stopping after we put our faith in him 
And so let's dive into the text. So large crowds are going along with Jesus. So he's attracted a crowd, right? And now he turns to the crowd and he's going to say something to him. And listen, um, uh, Jesus never would have written a best-selling self-help book, right? Jesus never would have written a best-selling church, a best-selling book on how to start a church. So there's one time in the book of John when 5,000 people are following Jesus. Everything seems to be going well. Jesus turns around and says, hey, gang, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't follow me. And you go, whoa, Jesus, you're trying to start a movement here. You got 5,000 followers and you just pushed all of them except for your 12 disciples away. What in the world are you doing? And what Jesus is doing is that Jesus realizes that if you're going to be his follower, you have got to be all in. Jesus doesn't want 5,000 mediocre followers. He wants 5,000 people at this time who are all in. And so let's keep going to the text, see what it says. He says, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And so Jesus says, listen, gang, if you don't have your relationships in right order, you can't follow me. You see, because you need to love me so much. That your relationships with your wife and your kids and your mother and your father, they look like hate compared to the love that you have for me. And so Jesus says, what you need to do is you need to put me in first place in all of your relationships. And then after you following me with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, all of your other relationships are going to look lesser. And so the question on the table is, who has the number one spot as far as it goes with you in relationships? Which relationship in your life do you value above all else? If you come home and your husband or your wife is in a mood, you ever done that? You guys are stuffy. You know you've done that. You come home, things aren't right at the house, your kids aren't right at the house, do you reorder things so that the mood is good? You've all seen the, and it happens in every country home. If mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. You've all seen those signs. Do you reorder things so that mama, children, or dad is happy? Or do you reorder things in your house so that Christ is lifted high and he's happy with all the decisions you're making? What do we do? When we make our weekly decisions, when we make our monthly decisions, when we try to plan out what we're going to do with our life, Do we plan to please Christ with everything that we do? Or do we plan to please family with everything that we do? And you know it's the holiday season. And oftentimes we put family in a place where it doesn't need to be. We need to put Christ in a place where he needs to be. More arguments, I bet, within this church will happen over family in this holiday season than any other times of the year. You don't believe me? Ask a couple that's been married for less than five years if they enjoy the holidays. And the answer is, maybe yes, maybe no. Boy, it's got tense. Let's go. Let's keep going. So, all of your relationships, Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you cannot follow me if you're going to love anyone else in your life more than me. Verse 27. Then he says, whoever doesn't carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And so you cannot follow me if you don't pick up your cross and follow me. And we talked all last week about what it meant to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow after Jesus. We dissected all of those words. And so we're not going to spend much time on verse 27. But everything that you hold near and dear comfort wise, you've got to let go if you're going to follow Christ the way that he wants you to. Because there's nothing comfortable about picking up a cross and following after Jesus. 
One of the people I feel the most sorry for in scripture is the guy who's standing by the side of the road as Jesus walks by and they grab that guy and they give him Jesus's cross and he carries it up the hill for Jesus. And I think, boy, that had to be a pretty uncomfortable situation. A guy who woke up one morning, maybe he was going to get milk and eggs from the grocery store. And next thing you know, he's carrying Jesus's cross up the hill. Talk about uncomfortable. And Jesus says, unless you're willing to pick up your cross and follow me, you cannot follow me. And don't think that you're going to ever please God by being a bystander, by just watching him and not getting in the game and following him. And so then you go on to verse 28. And he says, for which of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Now, I'm going to get in some real deep water if you know the person who owns the house I'm talking about. But when you drive the back way to the beach, when you go down 308 to run into 64, there's a house on the side of the road that's never been finished. Man, it breaks my heart that that house has never been finished. If you drive down uh, Powell and Stokes Road and you, you see that uh, across from the ag center where you buy your horse feed and your dog food and all that stuff, there's a, there's a building across the street that's never been finished. Man, it breaks my heart that these houses have never been finished. But somebody, somewhere along the line, set out to build something, and they didn't have enough to complete it. And now that house is going to sit there, and both of those houses seem to be rotting. And you think, boy, I wish whoever did that would have waited a little bit longer, saved up a little more money, until they could have finished the task they set out to, to do. Because nobody, none of us, hopefully, like to see a house that's halfway finished. And in the same way, you with your faith, If you started, but you can't finish, Jesus says, you are not my disciple. And you go, whoa, 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 whoa. You told us whoever walked down the aisle at a crusade was saved, that it took faith, and that was it. Faith gets you started down the road, but Jesus says, following me is a lifetime endeavor. And so he says, whoever starts to build and can't finish, no good. Verse 31 Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his possessions. And so you've got a man who wants to build a house, and he doesn't have enough to build the house. And you got a man who's, who's planning an attack, excuse me, a man who's going to defend his building or defend his town. And he wonders if when he goes out with 10,000 men, if he can defeat the one coming with 20,000. And the idea is that both of these people, unless they give every single thing that they have, they cannot accomplish the task. And Jesus says, unless you give everything you have, you can't follow me. And at this point, hopefully you're wondering if you've given everything that you have or if you're able to give everything you have. Because if you haven't been putting everything into it, Jesus says, you can't follow me. And so what I want you to see is that there's a time, and we get this from Luke chapter 14, verse 28 through 33. There's a time when you need to sit down and you need to think and you need to sacrifice for the kingdom of God because it's going to take every single thing that you have you get this it's not just all emotion 
when you're a king and you're going out to battle, this is something that you, you diligently plot out. Do I have what it takes to defeat the opposing army? And if the answer is no, you go back and you get more people so that you can defeat the opposing army. When you set out to build a house, you map out the cost before you start building. Do I have enough to finish this house? Do I have enough? And you calculate it to see if you have enough to complete it. And if the answer is no, then you don't even get started. I have had people come to me and say that they wanted to be saved. They say, what do I have to do to be saved? And I've sent people away and said, count the cost and see if you want to be saved or not. You go, I can't believe you didn't pray for them right then and there. They had the emotion going. They had everything else going. You could have, they could have been saved. And the answer is no, they might not have been saved. Because Jesus tells you, if you want to be his follower, you've got to count the cost to see if you really want it or not. Because there is no spectator Christianity. If you're all in as a follower, or you're not. You may deceive yourself, but when you read the scriptures, you won't be deceived by the things that Jesus says. And so what we've been talking about in the last few weeks is last week we talked about surrender. That's one of the characteristics of being a disciple. This week, the, the word is sacrifice. So disciples have surrendered. Jesus, I'm all yours. Wherever you want to go, that's where we go. I've surrendered. I'm waving my white flag. It's not my life that matters anymore. Only the life you want me to live matters. So you say, well, what's the difference between surrender and sacrifice? Sacrifice is where the rubber meets the road and you see if you've really surrendered or not. And so look at your life and ask yourself, what things are you actively sacrificing for the sake of the kingdom? What things are you actively sacrificing so that you can make disciples and you can lead more people to Christ? And we said, this is where discipleship is so important. Because if you're in a discipleship relationship, you can't wiggle out of this question. You've got somebody mano a mano and they're asking you, hey, how are you doing this week when it comes to sacrifice? So ask yourself that. How are you doing sacrificing things for the kingdom? I'll tell you what some of us are good at. This is myself included, right? Sacrifice and surrender, they're not easy. Some of us are very good in giving out of our excess. That's not sacrifice. Sacrifice is when you give and you don't have it to give. How are we doing as a church? Giving until it hurts. How many of us as a church are giving until we get to the red? Or are we finishing up our week, our month, we've got everything that we want, and then we give out of the excess. We put some to savings, we put some to doing the Lord's work. It's a valid question. But let me tell you, you will never, ever outgive God. God never calls someone to sacrifice and then, then leaves them there. There's always, and it's not always monetary, there's always joy and fulfillment and peace and oftentimes monetary blessing because someone sacrifices for following the Lord. And so, moving to surrender to sacrifice requires action. Now look at the last few verses in chapter 14. This is verse 34. He says, therefore, salt is good. But even if salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears, let him hear. And so what he's saying is that, listen, salt is good. He's saying, you're the salt of the earth. Followers of Christ, 
disciples, Christ followers, are supposed to be the seasoning of the earth. And he said, and if you lose your seasoning, you're not worth anything. You're just worth being thrown out. And so the question here, after sacrificing everything to follow the Lord, the question on the table is, do your possessions own you or do you own your possessions? You go, well, what do you mean? I've often heard uh, stoic, Hinduistic type people. So every once in a while they stumble on something smart and they say sometimes the more things you own, they begin to own you. Right? That's a common saying. It's very true. Do you own your things or do your things own you? Do you have to work your job at your present level to keep up your lifestyle? If so, the things that you have, they own you. Anything in your life that you're making a payment on, it owns you. Because you can't just freely walk away from it. It's a tough thing to say. Anything you own that you're making a payment on owns you. Because you can't drop what you're doing. You can't use up all your vacation following the Lord. And then you can't take a leave of absence because you have to have that money from your job to keep your life going at its current level. Because you're in debt to the man and the bank. And this is what I'm saying is not making me any friends in this room. But what I want you to know is that most of us are slaves to the bank and not to Christ. Because we can't walk away from whatever we're doing because if we do, the bank is going to come and get all the things that we own. And so we're not able to sacrifice because the things aren't ours to sacrifice. They belong to someone else and we're making payments on them so that we can keep them. One of the things that the church needs the most is time. Think about sacrifice. Think about the things that you're working for, the job that you're working so that you can have whatever you have. Think about the last 45 days of your life. Our town was flooded about 45 days ago. What did you have to do? What did all of us have to do? We had to go back to work, most of us. Why did we have to work? Because we have certain things that we have to pay for. The bank takes them back. We're not able to sacrifice some of us. When you did have time, when you did have free time, what did you spend your free time doing? The fish are biting. The deer are moving. It's good golf weather. Church, what did we spend our time doing? Were we sacrificing to follow... Excuse me. Were we sacrificing to pursue Christ and and make his name known throughout the earth? Or do we use all of our free time to do whatever we wanted to do? Jesus says two greatest commandments. Love your neighbor as yourself and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When we had free time, was it to help our neighbor or was it to pursue our own pleasures? Just think back over the last 45 days. This isn't to make you feel bad. This is to point us in the right direction and say, hey, this is where we need to go. Because if you do feel bad, you can be forgiven of all the things you feel bad about. Just start pursuing Christ. Right? That's repentance. Repentance isn't wallowing over the past. It's recognizing, hey, you know what? I might have made some bad decisions. Let's plow forward now. And so that's what sacrifice looks like. Now let's go over to the book of Matthew. This is Matthew chapter 6. And we're still, we're still talking about sacrifice and sacrificing for the Lord. Matthew chapter 6, this is verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy 
and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus says, listen, if, if you want to sacrifice, stop spending all your money on yourself and spend your money furthering the kingdom, pursuing these things. Store up for yourselves treasures where moth and rust don't destroy. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And so just think back through your life and what are you spending your treasures on? What am I spending my treasures on? What is it in my life that owns me that I need to sacrifice so that Christ can own me? And you say, well, what's the difference between owning something and it owning you? I don't owe anybody. If, if you guys said, you know what? That preacher's not working out. We're going to get rid of him. I own my boat, right? Nobody's taking my boat from me, right? There's, there's no payment. Okay, it's my boat, right? I have to have whatever title, deed, whatever you're supposed to have to the boat, it's mine. Right? I own the boat. Every day I walk by that boat, I give that boat to God. Because I don't want that boat to own me. I don't want to have something that I love so much that it gets in the way of my relationship with Christ. And so if God ever says, uh, hey there, preacher man, you need to come off that boat so that you can pursue a better relationship with me, it's in the front yard with a for sale sign on it. Because I own the boat and it does not own me at all. There's nothing that I have in my life that I won't walk away from for the sake of following Christ. I've sacrificed it all. You go, well, if you sacrifice it, you still have it. If you notice that Jesus said that, actually, we're going to get to it. It doesn't say that you have to give away everything. It says that you have to give up everything for the sake of following Christ. Right? I've given up everything. There's nothing in my life that I won't give up and haven't given up for Christ. It's all His. Now, some of it he's given back to me. He's allowed me to have it back. And I use it and I enjoy it. But ultimately, at the end of every day, it's his. And so, let's keep going on. And so, you're not supposed to store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And now go down to verse 25. And he's going to talk more about these things, more about this sacrifice. And so you think, well, if you sacrifice everything, you still need some things, right? Like it's, it's not possible to give away everything because you still need some things. And Jesus addresses that. He says in verse 25, he says, for this reason, I say to you, don't be worried about your life as to what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor what you'll put on your body as to what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And so you say, well, if I keep giving things away, I won't have anything to eat and I won't have anything to wear. And Jesus says, now you're starting to get it. Don't worry about that because I'm going to provide it for you. You say, well, I've, those, you have to, you have to work for the things that you have. Yes, you do. And Jesus says, you need to work and you need to readily store up for yourself treasures in heaven. And when you give to the point where you can't give anymore, that's when God steps in and he begins to take care of you. There's times when I've, I've given away the last little bit of my money that I had to supply someone else's need. And then someone came along and gave me a little bit of money and it replaced the money that I gave away. It happens all the time. Then he says this. Look at the birds of the air. This is verse 26. That they do not sow, nor do they reap. Nor do they gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the fields, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek these things for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. But what do you do? Verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so he says, listen, gang, feel free to sacrifice anything and everything God calls you to because God is going to richly supply everything that you need. So cast all caution to the wind when it comes to sacrificing for the Lord. Go on. How do you, how do you do that? What is sacrifice? How do I begin to sacrifice at all? I just want to share with you a frustration. I'm not venting. I just want to share with you something that keeps churches from growing. You ready? College football. Beach houses. Travel ball. These are all things that people sacrifice Things, church life things for, for the sake of pursuing. The list goes on and on and on and on. So if I hit you with three hard ones, forgive me. I didn't mean to, I'm not throwing darts at you. I'm just saying that you, you look at things on our church calendar. You look at things that we actively try to do in pursuing Christ. And you look at the reasons why people aren't more involved to do things. And the reason is oftentimes that some people are not concerned at all with sacrificing things that they enjoy and like for the cause of furthering the gospel of Jesus Christ. When I was a youth pastor for 10 years, I used to get this. Don't you know that high school football game? Don't you know Clemson has a home game that weekend? Don't you know, I don't care, people are going to hell, and I could care less about a football game? I could care less about your travel ball schedule? People are dying and going to hell for an eternity, and I've got a group of people who won't sacrifice anything for the cause of bringing someone into the kingdom? Now now you see I've gotten frustrated. But that's that's what I'm getting at, is that we have so many petty excuses and hobbies. And we would much rather pursue them than pursue Christ. And you go, but I I come to church. Do you know that that church attendance has dropped so much that churches are dropping Sunday night services and Wednesday night prayer meeting services and they're going to only a meeting one day a week? You think that's making churches stronger or weaker? Do you know why they cancel those services? Because nobody comes. Do you know why our Wednesday night services aren't better? It's my fault. I should put the same amount of effort into Wednesday night service as I do Sunday. It's because I know that only 10 to 20 people are going to be here. And when I put my heart and soul into something, I want it for all of you guys, not just 10 or 20. And that's on me. That's my fault. And so if you come on Wednesday nights and I haven't been giving you everything that you need, I apologize that it's sin in me and it's frustration in me. But gang... 
is, is sac- what is, what is sacrificing to you? What are you actively sacrificing to pursue discipleship, leading people to Christ, and making the name of Jesus famous around the world? And for a lot of us, it's not much. And I'm, I'm guilty of this. The dilemma for me is that I get paid to be here 40 hours a week. And so my sacrifice is just like your sacrifice. It's even more of the same. I need to be giving more Saturdays to the church. I need to not be content with me being here Sunday through Thursday. Right? Because that's not sacrifice on my part. Right? That's a, that's a job at some point. That's a vocation. Sacrifice for me is above and beyond that. And so my sacrifice looks different than yours. And I've got my own dilemmas. What I'm telling you is that God wants you to pursue him, not things. Anything wrong with things? Not at all. As long as they don't own you. There's nothing wrong with going to a college football game. I enjoy it every once in a while. Nothing wrong with high school football. I enjoy high school football games every once in a while. But if it owns you more than Christ does, he said... Don't fool yourself to think that you're actually following me. And so, gang, this is day one Christianity. This is the stuff that Jesus cut new believers' teeth with, right? When they followed him early on in his ministry, he preached to them sacrifice and surrender. And we've gotten away from that. We've gotten to thinking that sacrifice and surrender are level three, level four type things. And Jesus says, no, these are entry level things. This is, this is day one stuff that you need to learn at your job. If you're going to follow me, it's going to take surrender and it's going to take sacrifice. And so brothers and sisters, I want you guys to know that I love each and every one of you. And I'm not picking on any of you for anything, but I don't have time to go through a laundry list of everything. Just hitting the top few. And so... I don't want to say don't be convicted about it if the Lord is convicting you about it. I don't want you to think I'm bullying anyone because we each have different things in our lives that we sacrifice for the sake of not following the Lord. And so listen, if you're here and you think, you know what, I've been doing a pretty lousy job, don't feel too bad about it, okay? Feel bad about it, okay? Repent of it. And then when you walk out of here, be on a fresh start knowing that the Lord doesn't hold anything against you that he's forgiven you for. Right? Jesus came to this earth. He died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. And then he doesn't hold it over our heads like we sometimes do with things arguing with our spouse. Right? Right? Sometimes you never live down things that you've done with your spouse. Right? Right? That doesn't happen in my house. I just know it happens in your house. That's why I use it. Listen. Jesus doesn't ever hold any of that stuff over your head. Whatever your past sin is, whatever your lack of sacrifice is, come to the altar, get it right with the Lord, and walk out victorious and free, living a life of surrender and sacrifice, knowing that for the rest of your life, you're going to read the scriptures and you're going to be the type of follower of Christ that God has described, not the description that we put on ourselves as a Christian. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for everything that you're doing in each of our lives. Lord, I pray that following you would be at the top of all of our agendas. Lord, I pray that leading others to you and discipling them to become mature followers of Christ would be what we care about the most. Lord, I pray that you would, through your Holy Spirit, reveal what sort of things in our life you're calling us to surrender or sacrifice. And Father, I pray that we would gladly and joyfully lay those things down at your feet. Lord, please help us to be the followers you've called us to be. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who's not a follower of you, who's never put their faith in you, 
to forgive them of their sins and who's never put their faith in your resurrection from the dead so that we could have eternal life. Lord, I pray that today would be the day they do it. Lord, I pray that anyone who repents of their sin would not walk out of here downcast, but they would walk out of here with joy and gladness, knowing that they got things right with you and you don't hold anything against us once we repent of it. Lord, we love you. And Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to the reality of the things in our life. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you would stand with us for a hymn of invitation. It's good to see you all this week. I hope that uh, the Lord is uh, doing a lot in each of our lives this week. I want to remind you before we go that if you filled out, uh, if, you, if you donated a shoebox and you need to put the, uh, this piece of paper here on it to mark who it's for or if you need to put some money in it, make sure you do it quickly because they're going to make their way out the door uh, to get delivered where they need to go. Hey, I want you guys to know that uh, even after a message like this, uh, I am encouraged at the things that the Lord is doing amongst us uh, and with us as a church. And so uh, don't, don't hear me be frustrated or anything like that. I just want us to be a people who are wholly committed and sold out to the cause of Christ. And that there is no question at each of our funerals as to whether or not we were a follower of Christ. Amen? Amen. I want it to be painfully obvious before they show up that that preacher is not going to have to work to get that individual into heaven because that's a myth anyways. I want it to be a celebration when we go. And so uh, let's go to Lord in prayer. Let's close in prayer. I'm going to ask Bill Powell, would you close us in prayer? And we'll be dismissed.